Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Four Checking TV. I'm your host, Doug Lackey. And tonight I'm joined alongside my co-host, Scotty Porterfield and Peyton Trollinger. And tonight we got a special guest, um, Gabe Takuri of GTAC 13 Jerseys. Um, big guy in the Jersey community. He's had a big recent, most co- recent couple of weeks being featured on Bar Down and a couple other media outlets. So Gabe, how we doing, man? I'm good. Crazy couple of weeks, but thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And then definitely, definitely. It's good to, it's good to have you back on and, you know, we're going to talk a lot, a lot about jerseys this evening. Um, if you were looking for actual hockey talk, my sincerest apologies, but uh, a lot of this is going to be about hockey jerseys and what's been going on lately. Um, we'll start off with um, the New Jersey Devils. Um, that jersey is horrific but it also gave us one of the greatest memes of all time by them making the hat hat and putting it on Dougie Hamilton so thank you for that New Jersey um but going further honestly I just don't understand like how hard it is just give us a black jersey with the basic logo some red piping around like the stomach and red numbers with black trim like or with white trim i don't really understand how difficult it is to do that um i also think it's a bad time to screw up jersey this bad i mean this is a pivotal pivotal time for that organization um they're going into a window of years where um they're going to be thriving with jack hughes and nico hesha running the show and that's going to be a big part of their identity is, you know, the jerseys they're wearing. And it's a shame they're going to have to wear that hideous third, at least for right now. Yeah. Whenever I first saw the design leak out, I was, I was like, Oh man, they're not actually going to go through with this. Are they? And then it turns out it was real and everything. We talked about how, uh, I think Marty Brodor was the guy that designed the Jersey. That was their first mistake was letting Marty uh, take the, take the reins on that project it's kind of it kind of reminded me of whenever uh virgil and blow released the pop smoke album cover and everybody hated it first and then like they had to go back and redo it again i feel like that might happen with the devil's jersey now because it's just no one like no one likes it outside of marty Rodor. so i don't know but uh it's definitely a, it's definitely a tough look i don't I don't, I don't, I hope it doesn't stick around for longer than this year, at least. Cause uh, man, that's just, it's just like you said, Dougie, so much potential is wasted there. You're, you're the devils. There's definitely a lot of things you could have done with, you know, if you want to come up with a new concept, there are a lot of things you could have done. And you're just like, no, here's, here's our, here's half of our team name, of our city name or, or state name. Let's just throw it up on our Jersey and call it a day. Like I, I hate when, when teams do that. And, ironically enough my team just did it too but i mean at least with uh, with ours it looks good but yeah that's a that's a very rough look on uh, on the devil's part and just definitely it's it's really not that hard like i don't understand how you mess up a red and black color scheme and the devils like again there's so much you could have done (laughs) so much it's probably believe, the easy. Go ahead, Gabe. I can't believe it's their first ever alternate jersey, and the fans have waited years 
to see that. It's just disappointing. I mean, the one Devils fan I know in real life, like, he loves it. But I've seen the vast majority of people don't like it. The memes have been great, though. So, at least there's that. Yeah. And, you know, I just – I think it's crazy because in professional sports, when you're given a red-black color scheme, it's extremely hard to screw it up, you know? Like – in, in American professional sports, if you get a red-black color scheme or a red and blue or a red-white and blue color scheme, nine times out of ten, you're able to knock those out of the park. Um, so it's crazy. Now, speaking of other teams just absolutely making a disgrace of a jersey, what the hell is going on with those Nashville Predators Stadium Series jerseys? Yikes. <laughs> Well, like, like aren't the really fonts cool. off too? Like, kind of, yeah. Like, they don't look good. Obviously, I gotta pull it up real quick just to look at it again because I saw it on Twitter and I've been ignoring it ever since. But I mean, I've like whenever I first saw the design, like, really, that's what we're going with? Like, you remember those like mustard colored ones that they used to wear back in the day where the predator looks really high? <laughs> and like, I think that one's honestly better than this new one that comes that, that they just released. Yeah, so if you haven't seen it, um. It's literally just they put Smash on top and then Bill on the bottom, and then they have a guitar pick between it, which just – it's a terrible look. It just does not look good at all. I don't know why they're trying to force this whole Smashville agenda on people. Like, it's it's a cool nickname to have, but you don't need to put it on a jersey. It just looks corny. <laughs> it looks like something that you designed for, like, NHL 22 or something for, like, for your ESHL franchise, but, like, that's just not a it's not a look you want to have whenever you're going to play an actual NHL game and uh that's another one that uh Nashville's going to want to throw away when they're done because I think like they did a video of, like the players reacting to it too and they're like <laughs> like they're like who wants to try it on first and nobody wants to try it on like everyone's like it's like no you try it on <laughs> so it was uh it's a very yeah not another tough look here a lot of swings and misses by uh NHL teams there they had poor Pecorine come back to be the first guy to model it <laughs> that's just not a not a good way to do it, man. Poor guy. Roman Yossi tried so hard to lie and say oh, that he liked the jerseys. <laughs> and just to add real quick, I don't understand why there isn't more um, experimentation done on Nashville's part with that guitar pick logo. Like, mm-hmm. just make that a jersey. I would have been perfectly fine with that guitar pick logo being the main logo on that Navy Jersey and then maybe do like the Preds logo, like as like the shoulders, like I'd, I'd, I put, I'd put the Predator logo up down the middle, like on the, on the front with the guitar. Mm-hmm. Pick. I'd rather do that. Like, like you said, with those old Navy jerseys they used to wear, those old alternates that they had do that. Yeah. Just bring those, they could have brought those back and gone away with it. Cause fans actually like those jerseys. So if you had done, if you had done that and put the guitar picks on, on the shoulder patches, you'd been, you'd been fine. So yeah, I mean, monstrosity. And I feel like Gabe can attest to this. Like those Navy alternates that Scotty just referred to, those are like impossible to find now, right? And they're like insanely oh, yeah. expensive. Yeah. yeah, they're going for 250-ish. Those things are one of the best styles, in my opinion, of all time. I love those. The look of those. Yeah, they just were. Awesome. Real quick, what what player will be on? <laughs> Why? I get there, but like, what player is going to be on the back of that jersey? Because who was like other than Shea Weber, who was notable for Nashville back in those? Jason Arnett, baby. Jason Arnett. <laughs> I say, are you David Legwand. 
Are you going to sell a $250 Joel Ward jersey? Is that a thing? <laughs> oh, my goodness. If it's Jordan Tutu, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. All right, Peyton, what did, you, did you want to add something? I hate it. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have anything else to say. I, I despise them. Like Scotty said, I don't understand the whole Smashville agenda. Uh, like it, it almost looks like a like a pick me move by Nashville. Like, oh, like oh, we're Smashville. Like no, like sit down. Like you were relevant in 2017, and then you got kicked by the Pens. So it doesn't matter. Like it's just horror. It's I don't. I hate it. Like I said, I hate the jersey. I just like I said, the the main part is just the Smashville. I I don't I don't agree with that. I don't think it looks good. Raise a banner for that one too. <laughs> I, I saw that. I saw that yeah. meme too. It's like the new worst jersey in the NHL. Uh, that's I, horrible. I heard they were looking into the mustard cat logo too, and I'm not happy they went with the messed up font Smashville. It's just unfortunate, especially with the navy, which everyone seemed to want back and was hyped when the original video came out, but. To see the end result, it's it's too loud in my opinion. I, I just don't like it at all. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, but that's another thing that's like I feel like is a big issue with just those stadium series jerseys in general is they're too like like Gabe said they're too loud and they're like way too. There's not enough simplicity in it. I feel like every designer overthinks the stadium series jerseys. You know, because, like, you think about it early on whenever they started doing those games, Reebok was making them with the long numbers and the metallic logos so they would pop on the ice. It just didn't work well. I mean, what's different between a stadium series and a winter classic? it's literally the same thing, you know, like there's no reason to have like this special process with it. Um, you know, and with the lightning jerseys, I mean, I don't mind them, but at the same time, it's like, you can only beat, beat a dead horse so much when it comes to using the, um, the bolts word mark Jersey. I mean, it was awesome whenever you did it with the um, in in the black. Um, whenever you first did it a couple of years ago, but really at this point, I mean, you have you have a really nice classic logo too. I mean that those reverse retros they did last year were phenomenal, and you know why not try and continue to build momentum off of that rather than just continue to continuing to experiment with this word mark. I think they could have brought those back honestly for this for this game, or maybe like just change the change the color, like just change it to white instead of blue, because obviously Nashville took the blue already. So if you had changed the lo- the, the color to white, I think they could have got away with that, and fans would have been happy about it. But again, like you said, like they they you know overdone it with like the the bolts thing. That was like a, like whatever they first did that in two thousand nine. It wasn't a bad idea, but like now it's just like you said, you're beating a dead horse at this point because this one isn't as good as the other two that they've had before. So. And it's like also to Carolina, Pittsburgh, and the Rangers all already have the word mark jerseys. Like they're starting to bring them back too. And it's like Tampa Bay at this point, it looks like they're just hopping on a bandwagon. And 
you know, they keep bringing back their old logo, trying to stay relevant. And like I said, I don't mind it. It looks good, but it's just, it looks way better than Nashville's, but it's just, could have did a little bit better. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of them either. They look pretty similar, in my opinion, to the Colorados that we saw a few years ago with the bottom design. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't like the wordmark logo. I just haven't been a fan of it as of recently, especially with New Jersey and then the Smashville and the Lightnings. But I wanted to see them go in a storm direction, if if anything. And I'm not happy to see they didn't. But I mean, most people seem to like it, so maybe I just have bad taste. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, you said that to me last night, and I was like, I'm not really sure, like how valid that statement is but um moving onward the pittsburgh penguins finally did it like they finally brought back the black diagonal jersey this is something that i think a lot of us have been wishing for for a little for quite some time now at least since they brought back the black and gold color scheme um i like i was looking through my phone um, a couple weeks ago, and I had a uh, concept art of that jersey, like a Photoshop concept art of Sid in that jersey from like when they first merged, from whenever Adidas first got the contract back up in like 2018 or 2019. So this has been something that's been on my radar for a while, um, and I really can't wait to get my hands on one. Um, like I've said to all of you. I'm I have tickets to the game that they get released at. So best believe I'm going in there with my uh check from work for working Thanksgiving. Best believe I'm going in there with that added uh added cash uh stat padding ready to go to war in Penn's gear. Yeah, I was kind of glad they brought back the uh Right back to the uh, that logo again too, because obviously, I mean, like we said, you know, we've been obviously we've been bashing the word mark jerseys lately, but that's a look that the Penguins first brought in whenever they first came into the league back in the '60s. So they had that one originally, and then they redid it again in the '90s, and now the Penguins are bringing it back again one more time, 30 years later. So I think it's a good look. Obviously, I think it's a good look. Obviously, it'll be good to see you know Sid Gino and everybody wearing it now. So you know, hopefully, it's a good. Hopefully, uh, it's uh, it looks good, as good on the ice as it does in the previews because it definitely was. Uh, you know, bringing back some old, uh, some older memories, I guess. My dad was calling me and telling me about it. He said he was excited to see it again because he remembers when Mario and Yager wore it, obviously. So now we get to see Sid and Gino wear it too. All I'm going to say is if I don't see Snoop Dogg at, in Pittsburgh wearing that alternate jersey, I'm going to be very upset. That's, that's all I'm going to say. They will make so much money if they do a gin and juice one. Oh, yeah. They'll make so much money. I think they look great, though. It's it's pretty much just reversing the reverse retros. Same design on the sleeves and the shoulder patch. But it looks great. They didn't overdo anything. It's a classic look, and I think it'll look great. It's simple, too. It's simple. Simplicity makes the best jersey, I swear. Can we just jump out and say it right now? This is probably the best jersey the team has unveiled since the 08 Winter Classic. 
obviously going back to the black and gold doesn't count because that's something that should have never changed. But outside of that, I think this is probably the best thing they've done since the baby blues. Um, but moving forward, um, since we're already on the penguins, we might as well just get the penguins out of the way now. Um, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're struggling on this Western Canada road trip. Um, ever since Russ got hurt, the lines have been kind of flat and it looks like they finally broke up the second line. Thank God. Um, they finally broke up Zucker, Carter and Kapanen, but I don't really think they did it as well as they could have because they took, um, all they really did was take Kasperi Kapanen off that third line or off that second line. And really when, whenever you think of it, I think it's just so much easier to put Danton Heinen up in the top six, um, with Sid and Jake and just let Rodriguez go back to center. Because even though it was such a small sample size, Zucker, Rodriguez, and Kapanen have been fantastic together at 5v5 this year. And, you know, that's something that at least until Gino gets back, I think they should keep together. And we're getting to a point now where, you know, you're starting to notice, like, okay, like maybe Jeff Carter was just tearing it up last year after the trade just because he was getting such favorable matchups as an actual third-line center. You know, so they need to get him back to that ASAP because he's been just he's just been kind of there. And with Malkin out, at least for I would say probably like the next two weeks yet, they need they need they need more. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a struggle as of late for the uh the Penguins. Like you said, those uh you know, it's been tough losing Rust and They've tried to make that uh, third line with Zucker, Carter, and Kapanen work. It just isn't going to happen, I don't think. You know, th- at the end of the day, they've really missed Evgeny Malkin. You know, we we can't state that enough, obviously. But I think that once he gets back, that'll restore some type of order. Maybe Jeff Carter can be, you know, a little more impactful, like you said. Whenever he, whenever it was him, even during, even last year, whenever Gina went down with his injury, he had to step in. He was, like you said, he was getting some good matchups then too. Granted, we were facing terrible teams towards the end of last season as well. I mean, maybe I think we played Buffalo like 10 times <laughs> in the last month of the season last year. But, uh, yeah, that's that's just got to be something they got to figure out too because I feel like that team could – like the only line that's really been consistent has been that fourth line with Bluger, Aston, Reese, and McGinn. They've really been the only one that's had like consistent chemistry all the way. And it was just a pleasant surprise because – Obviously, that was the big question whenever the Penguins lost hand of an expansion was, oh, what's going to happen to that fourth line now? And Brock McGinn's more than filled that role easily. So, Yeah, I just want to chime in real quick and say that I totally agree with you there, Scotty. Um, although Tanev's shooting at like a 19% clip right now in Seattle, I find more – I can rest peacefully at night knowing that Brock McGinn's on the fourth line, just like providing a little bit more of an offensive boost than what Tanev would have, at least in what the Pittsburgh version of Brandon Tanev would have, you know, and really um, you like to, you'd like to think that at least in theory, better days and better matchups are ahead for Jason Zucker and Jeff Carter, because once Malkin comes back, 
once Malkin and Russ both come back, I think that second line left wing spots can be occupied by Evan Rodriguez. Um, I think that he's earned it. Um, you know, I haven't seen a breakout, like a random breakout for a player like this in quite some time. I think the most comparable, at least for where he's going in terms of point production would be like a Mike Hoffman in Ottawa where his first like two or three years in the league, he had like five, six, seven points a year. And then he just randomly popped off for like 25 goals and 46, 47, 48 points. And, you know, I mean, that's where he's going, you know, and I just want to pose a question to you guys. I think that once Malkin and Rust are fully healthy and granted hoping nobody else goes down long-term, which the fact I even said that out loud right now just is absolutely stupid on my end because now something catastrophic is probably going to happen tomorrow night when they play in Vancouver. But um, I think the team is flexible enough when fully healthy to do the stack the top line thing and milk every last bit of value out of Jason Zucker you possibly can. I think that we're at that point where we have to do it because he's not good anywhere else. You know that he brings you great value when he's playing with Crosby and he's probably going to do even better playing with Gensel because, you know, you need to find a way to get as much production out of the team. And, you know, whether it's Danton Heinen or Evan Rodriguez playing with Evgeny Malkin or Kasperi Kapanen, they're going to be perfectly fine, you know. And that third line, you know, with Zucker and Carter or with um, Carter in a third line role, I think you, you could throw him with anybody and they'd succeed. And given what I said, he'd have Brian Rust right there with him, you know. And they're talking about how Brian Rust is on the Frank Saravalli's trade bait board. Um with the caveat of if they fall out of a playoff spot, there's going to be teams lining up to trade for Brian Rust, probably trade like a first and maybe a decent prospect for him to put him in a third line role, similar to what Blake Coleman and uh, Barclay Goudreau did in Tampa Bay. Why don't we just keep Brian Rust granted we're in a playoff spot and do the same damn thing. We kind of talked about this earlier, Dougie. I mean, do you think there's a really likely chance that Brian Russ does get moved at the deadline? Because I to think me, that I, it's not that concrete to me. I feel like there are a bunch of guys that get a better shot at getting moved than Brian Russ does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think like if they fall out of the playoff spot, like, and you think of guys that could potentially move, you, you right away, you point the finger at Jason Zucker, I think. Because if you're able to move out that contract in that term, that opens you up to make moves to improve the team long-term or just flat-out keep the core together. I don't think we can Nobody's. I don't think anybody would want him at this point. I really don't. You've seen how well – you've seen how he's performed over the last two years. Who would want him at this point with that mm-hmm. contract? I don't, I don't see him getting moved at all. I think you got, you got a better chance seeing a guy like, and you got a better chance seeing someone like a, a Tanner Pearson or Jason Dickinson or someone like that game move before you'll see like, a, uh, what's his name? Like you'll see Jason Zucker getting moved. 
we got a better chance of seeing Oli Mata get traded, I think, before we end up seeing Jason Tucker get traded. No exaggeration. Yeah, and it's it's a very difficult situation because Zucker does everything right except for put the puck in the net consistently. Which is what you're paying him to do. Yeah, and, you know, when you're paying a guy $5.5 million every year against your salary cap, you need him to score at least 25. Yeah. Not where whereas since he's been here, he's been struggling to score 15, you know, um, which is tough. It's difficult. Um, and like, you know, like we say, we always go back to the contract. If he was getting paid what Brian Rust was getting paid right now at three and a half million. Take it. I have zero, zero issue with him. But given the fact that they're paying five and a half million dollars to, to him right now. Given the fact that they traded the guy that was most likely the heir apparent to Crystal Tang for him, on top of a first round pick that still drafted a pretty damn good player, there it's it's a very difficult situation, you know. And it's it you know you you immediately you immediately start pointing fingers to a David Perron type situation. Um, you know, like, I never did Ron first came to Pittsburgh. He was like lighting it up with Sid and Zucker was yeah. doing the same thing. And then it's just fell off. And then they started putting him with Malkin and the same exact thing happened. Yeah, literally. It's literally what happened. Yeah. The only person who has not curled up in a ball and died on a line with Evgeny Malkin that was acquired here to play with Sidney Crosby is probably James Neal. Phil? Phil, but like at the same time, like I don't really count Phil because he made his own line. Yeah, because but at the same time, I think Phil spent more Phil spent more time playing with Gino than he did Benino, for being honest. That's true. And he did score like 95 points with Gino. That makes total sense. You're right. You're totally right. But um yeah, like the David Perron situation, like I was gonna say. Okay. He, in in a nutshell, you traded Matt Barzell for David Perron, like, even though you would you wouldn't have money to pay Matt Barzell right now, it'd been nice to have him two three years ago. <laughs> the the insane things you could have done with Matt Barzell playing top line right wing with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel on an ELC would would have been disgusting. Definitely could have had a three peat. The truth is, I think they have a three peat if they don't trade for Broussard, but that's besides the point. Um, this has been uh, a segment brought to you by the Derek Broussard Slander Coalition. So there you go. <laughs> Before we kick the can down the road any further, uh, let's uh, let's let's switch things here a little bit since we got Gabe with us. I think we got to talk 100%. a little bit. Because, uh, oh, my goodness gracious, what a time to be on Long Island right now. Yeah, it's been tough. The floor is yours if you want to share any opinions you have, because obviously, you know, we're going to get into it. But, I mean, you're you're watching this team more than we are. So, what are you seeing that uh, is obviously hurting them right now? Because obviously they've had to deal with a lot of injuries as of late. But I think it's just – I think it's more than just the fact they're losing guys to injury. Oh, yeah. They can't score. It's been their problem the entire season. I mean, yeah, they've dealt with injuries and COVID. But they have no one who can score. They've been shuffling lines – like crazy. I, I don't know why Walsham hasn't gotten the first line opportunity at all. He's been lighting it up 
everywhere besides being with Barzell, which I think he'd have the most success at. But we'll see. They're falling fast, and their chances of making the playoffs go down every single time they lose. I was looking at, like, who their first line. It was Barzell, Richard Panic, and I'm thinking there's another. Well, who's the other guy on the right wing? Parisi. Zach Parisi. Yeah. It was, that, was, that was their first line. I'm like, oh, God, this is terrible. Not the not the line you want to see. Like, I had this. I, I thought this the Islanders team was had a shot at making the conference finals at the minimum, and now it's, now they're dead. Now they're last in the Metro. Seems like a pipe dream at this point. But I mean, one thing, and like you, like you said, it's it, they've had a couple tough things to uh, to deal with. Obviously, we talked about the injuries, and it's not fun playing your first thirteen games on the road either. But I don't think that's. I mean, that's not the fault of the league or anybody else. I think that one's on the Islanders. You know, if you really wanted to, if you didn't want to start the, the season on the road, maybe don't tell, maybe build your arena a little bit faster. I think they have control over that. So that one's on them more than anything. But it's the one that thing that, and I could be off base with this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It hurt losing Jordan Everly in, in the expansion draft. Because there are some guys you protected and kept that you definitely shouldn't have. There's no reason why Cal Clutterbuck should have been protected over him. Because like you said, that team, like you said, you guys can't score right now. It's good. I mean, you guys are always good at stopping the puck, but when you can't put it, put it in the net more than you stop it, that's a huge issue. And Jordan Everly was one of those guys who could at least do it at a decent pace, and now you don't have that. And, you know, yeah, you got you got your fourth-line grit with Cal Clutterbuck, but how, how much is that going to help you right now? It's not. They're below 500. So I feel like that was, that was another thing that kind of hurt him, too, was the fact that they, did, they didn't make the best moves in the offseason, too. There was no need to bring in – overcooked today no chara either i don't think that was you know a, a move that needed to happen at this point i get that he's a legend in the game but we don't i don't think he needs to remain in the league just because you know he's just he's just a name at this point there's no way he gets a contract next year no he's chance. been absolutely brutal for us which is so bad because one of the jerseys that i've always wanted was a chara wave jersey and now it's like just any reference of chara on the islanders is is tarnished. It really is. Just he's been that bad. But yeah, with, with the Everly point, he's been lighting it up on the Kraken. And Paul Mary, from what he did in the last regular season, did not deserve an extension. He was terrible in the regular season. He was good in the playoffs. Sure, he scored that game-winning goal against you guys. But uh, other than that, he's been mediocre at best. And Everly was constant on Barzell's win. I think the power comes from his beard, honestly. Lamarillo made it. That could be the case. But, no, I mean, going back to Chara, you guys think he just he just bullies GMs into signing him because he's so cute? <laughs> like, like, he, like, he just, like, threatens to break someone's finger or something if he, if he doesn't get signed. Lou just folded and said, okay, here's 750. Come play. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, tough time to be on Long Island, though, for sure. Have you started looking at mock drafts yet? Oh, of course, of <laughs> course. There, because I, I literally I made a I made a smart ass comment to Peyton today. I said to him, "I cannot wait for the end result of the Islanders' uh, season being that like Brad Lambert has to turn into a defensively stout two way forward rather than being offensively sound." Yep. Um. But honestly, though, like, if you guys hit big on a draft lottery, that is it's going to be interesting because, you know, Barzell helped so, so much 
basically change the identity of the team. And, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be a victim of one of these like weird one-off fluke years, potentially that, that would be massive. Oh yeah. Um, real quick from since the last time that we talked the Toronto Maple Leafs are interestingly enough looking like they what they need to look like you know the other night Austin Matthews had a hat trick all the depth guys are actually or all the big guys are actually scoring um, you know and what makes it exciting is they're getting to a point now where they have to move out cap. So, you know, Kerfoot, Nick Ritchie, Justin Hall, any of those potentially problematic players or problematic contracts could potentially be out on the move for them to make cap space to be able to activate Ilya McCaff. So that's, that's something. Um, Jack Campbell has been amazing. So amazing to the point that people are, saying he should be the third goalie for Team USA. I don't know where I'm at with that. I mean, I think you guys all know I would be absolutely freaking elated if that happened. But um, I don't know how possible that is at this current moment in time. But, um, yeah, they've been playing real good so far. I can say this is the best that this group has looked under Sheldon Keith ever since he took over two seasons ago, however long ago it was. This is the best that they've looked. You know, like you said, Dougie, the big guys are stepping up, obviously. The depth scoring is finally starting to, you know, come together as well. Guys like Kerfoot have really uh, picked up their play as of late. One thing I I want to commend on, too, obviously, is uh, the way, like you said, is how Jack Campbell's been playing. That guy, you know, obviously, you know, when you're a wagon like the Leafs are, you, you expect those core group guys to get the job done. But it helps that you have a goalie who can also stop the puck pretty frequently, too, and that's what Campbell's been doing so far. So kudos to the Leafs and how they're playing. But it's like the old saying goes, obviously, in Toronto, obviously, we don't – at this point, we don't really care about what they're doing in the regular season. Whenever April and May rolls around, that's when uh, that's when everyone really starts to pay attention. But uh, as of right now, they're, uh, they're, they're one of the top dogs in the league. Yeah, and some minor I just want to touch on, Michael Bunting might be the – best value signing that anyone's had this entire offseason. He has 17 points in 24 games and they have him on oh my god, they have him on a two-year deal for 950. So they're going to get the same damn thing they're getting out of him right now next year and it's going to look even better. You know, and it's unfortunate for them just simply because they whiffed on the Nick Ritchie signing. If they would have given the term to Andre Kasha for two years rather than the one year that he got and given the two one year to Nick Ritchie they'd be in business right now, but they're going to have to find a way to make a move or two to move some sort of a cap element out. I know that Leafs fans have finally turned on Justin Hall and understandably so, but uh, Peyton, before I jumped in here, you were getting ready to say something, man. What were you about to say? I was just going to say, you know, they're hot right now. And kind of jumping off of what uh, Scotty said, just no one really cares what they're doing right now. Because, they, I mean, they will, they are going to stop winning. They're going to fall off this hot streak eventually. They're going to start losing again. 
But what really matters is April or May or whenever they're doing the playoffs this year. Because, I mean, there's we've seen it past, but we've seen it especially this year. If they can keep playing like they are now in the playoffs, no reason they shouldn't be at least in the conference final, maybe even the Stanley Cup final. Because we see the potential they have. And if by the time playoffs come, they get knocked out first round, we're going to say what happened. I mean, there's no excuse, really. I mean, they're playing like this now. They're really hot. So, Yeah, and if they approach the trade deadline well and they're able to get Peter Morazic healthy enough at a proper time to give Jack Campbell that rest he's going to need to avoid potential burnout, I – Honest to God, I know I've said this before, but I see no way they don't make a cup run in their sleep, or at least a conference final run in their sleep. I, the dude, this this group. I mean, I know we have to at least get through the first wave of the garbage and win a playoff round, but honest to God, I think winning a playoff round, especially if they're able to close it out in Toronto, would send off enough Disney movie Mickey Mouse vibes to make that happen. They throw a parade if they may have passed the first round. Let's just be real. They will. They will. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto's going to become like the new Philly after they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> they'd have a riot if they just made it past the second. If they made it you're past gonna, the first. You're going to see people on top of like street signs, like just <laughs> hanging <laughs> everywhere. But real quick, though, you going back to that uh, that Peter Morazic thing. Do you do you really want to keep him around now, or I mean, because I've been looking at uh, this this one this uh, current backup they have now, Wall or whatever his name is. Yeah, he's been playing he's pretty good so far. Honestly, yeah. I feel like that's I feel like if you you know in terms of just getting rid of cap, I think you know you could possibly ship out Morazic if you really wanted to, because there are going to be teams like Pittsburgh that need a, a a decent backup at some point during the season. I mean, and if, if Wall's that good of an option and he's cheaper than Morazic, obviously, why not keep stick with him then? Because clearly that's he's been a good option since Morazic went down. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, Scotty. I just think it would be tough to move out a $3.8 million contract for a goalie in this current financial structure that the league is in, you know? Um, the only way that you would probably find a taker on a Peter Morazic would be like if a rebuilder needs a goalie, you know, and so he's going to Arizona or Buffalo is what you're saying. Yeah, but like a rebuilder that isn't actively tanking for like right and then one of Bedard or Michkov in 23, you know, but uh I mean, that would make sense. Like, if you were able to move out, obviously this is getting fantasy landish, but um, if you were able to move out um, Nick Ritchie and Peter Morazic, that gives you an extra $6.3 million to work with. That Not only does that make you a buyer at the deadline, for the first time in a while, that makes you a player in free agents. Yeah. You know, so, I mean – I could see them bringing on like maybe a Ricard Raquel or something like that in a trade. Um, if they were able to like clear a cap cap hits like that, you know, but obviously it's going to be easier said than done. Um, I feel like 
um, as of late, at least with the – actually, no, I don't think that. Dubis's trade trade track record's actually been pretty impressive. Um, you know, I mean, the trades he's been able to make with the Los Angeles Kings alone are just borderline insane. So, you know, hopefully maybe, – maybe you're able to get something cooking there. I mean, I don't think it would be hard to unload Nick Ritchie because – I mean, he's still a decent player. He just doesn't fit the way that the Maple Leafs play, you know. Um, I throw around that term Western Conference player. Nick Ritchie's probably a Western Conference player, you know. Um, Like, if you throw him on, like, Vancouver or something, I think that he'd be perfectly fine in a third or fourth line role. So, um, anyone have anything else to add on that? You're talking about Western Conference uh, players. Hang on a second before I say something stupid. Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to say, you know, throw an idea out there and sound like an idiot because it wouldn't work. But uh, let's take a look here. Okay. So you talked about, we said, like, if we move, if they're able to move out Nick Ritchie and or Peter Mraz at three up 6.3, you said? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. How do you feel about Sean Monahan in Toronto? Because I because obviously it's not working in Calgary. He's and he's a UFA after this year, right? No, uh, and he's he's a UFA after next season. Oh my god, I don't know how doable that would be if they were able to eat like probably a million or two of that contract. Sweet Jesus. That's that's one hell of a third line center, mm-hmm. you know. Like that that would be nuts. Um, that would be absolutely nuts, you know. But like, if they're able to free up money, I could see them rolling in and saying, calling Vancouver and being like, "Hey, we want JT Beller," you know, because that contract's good, um, you know. But I also I also could see them moving Kerfoot to a team that's desperate for centers. You know, I've, I've kicked around this idea. I've had in my head for a while, you know, could we see Alex Kerfoot go for, you know, Jordan Greenway? Uh, I think that would be something that would fit um, the, how the Leafs want to play, you know, and also I could see, you know, maybe Jake DeBrusque for, um, Alex Kerfoot, because the Bruins need to find a way to replace David Krejci. Charlie Coyle ain't it. Jack Stadnika isn't ready. Um, so I could see Kerfoot just going in there playing 2C and just balling out every night with Taylor Hall. You know, I think that that would make sense. But um, I don't know. I think if they were looking to add at the deadline, I would think either defense or – um, you know, maybe winger help. Um, you know, obviously they don't need left defense anymore because of the fact they extended Morgan Riley. But if we were talking about Morgan Riley still being on an expiring deal, I would, I would like to think that they would at least explore seeing if they would be able to wow the Coyotes with a package to try and get Jacob Checker just because of how cheap his con- his cap hit is. 
you know, because his cap hit for the next couple of years is essentially what Morgan Riley's is right now, if not less. But, um, you know, another just throwing this out there. If they had the ability to load up, I could see them going Tomas Hurdle. You think that you guys think that makes sense to an extent? I don't know. Possible. Let's take a look here. I don't know, man. Um, cap hits six, five point six. So, and also just keeping in mind, like with Monahan, um, who's to even say Monahan could be on the move by the deadline because the they they've been really good. The Flames, you know, they might be in a position where it's like, okay, we're we're going to keep this guy around and just see what happens, you know. Um, I think an actual, well, obviously, we've thrown out unreasonable candidates to like buy. Um, I can see them trying for Max Domi if Columbus doesn't want to keep him and they want to sell. You know. Um, I don't know his contract specifics off the top of my head, but I think he's on an expiring deal at least maybe. And I mean, I mean, it would fulfill the Domi family prophecy in Toronto. He's making 5.3 right now in his, con- in his, is his contract year. So. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it, you know, because he has that kind of, he, he plays, obviously he has more skill and more finish. He plays similar to what Michael Bunting does for them right now, you know? So why not put that on another line um, and just keep Bunting with Austin? Yeah, that could work. Um, Moving forward, speaking of family prophecies. (laughs) Yeah. Chuck family versus the Lemieux family uh, lives, continues to live on. Um, I'll be honest with you guys. I did not know of this i did not know that uh big walt keith kachuk beat the living hell out of claude lemieux in the middle of was it an olympic game or a world cup game it was the world cup still yeah Yeah, i was so perplexed because i know you can't fight in olympic hockey so like i'm just like okay like what the hell is going on like these two players are too high profile to be getting each other thrown out of a game right now but um yeah Brendan Lemieux just, you know, just continuing to be a PR nightmare, um, biting Brady Kachuk. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't notice it and then until uh, I didn't notice it until the next morning. And then when I saw Brady's hand in the box, I was like, that is just, you know, and I would say it was even, I would say it was disgusting even before a global pandemic. But now I'm just like, Oh my God. Like that is just, that's just horrible. You know? So, I mean, when we, when we talk about that whole situation, obviously you see, we all, I'm assuming everybody's seen what, uh, what Brady Kachuk said about uh, Brandon Lemieux after the game, just absolutely carved the guy pretty much. Oh, said, yes. <laughs> yeah. This guy's a loser and nobody is going to want him after his contract's up and he's going to, beg and plead the NHL to stay, to stay in the NHL and stuff like that. How much of that do you think has to do with just like previous animosity? Cause you have to figure, you know, your, your dad played in the NHL and it's probably, it's probably goes both ways. Honestly, you can figure your, your dad or your uncle or whatever the deal is on the other side of the, on the other side with Lemuse, they play in the NHL. 
and you you ask your you ask him, hey, what was what was Claude Lemieux like? Or what was Keith Kachuk like? And he just says like, oh, Lemieux was a total scumbag. I absolutely hate him. And maybe Lemieux was like, oh, Kachuk's such a such a joke. I hated that guy too. How much do you think it was just like personal animosity already beforehand, where it's just like, hey, Dad said this other guy was this other guy was a jerk, so I'm gonna hate his kid now whenever I play against him. Like, you think it, I, I feel like that kind of had something to do with it at some point too. It was just like there was already some personal animosity there because the things he was saying in that interview, I get you got bit, but at the same time, it's like you've been waiting to say this for a long time. You've been sitting on that. That wasn't just like a, a spew of the moment thing. You were you've you've had that one ready to 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 throw out, and you just it's like now's the time, you know. Nobody calls another human. In my opinion, nobody calls another human being a brickhead who's got nothing up there. Unless you've been sitting on that for a little bit, you know, I mean, you know, take it, take it from me. I do get worked up sometimes over some stuff, but like, I would never even like, I, I never even knew that you, the, like, that was a term to call somebody like a brickhead until like Brady had that press conference. And now I'm just like, Holy, holy crap. Like that's nuts. But, um, you know, I think the truth might be somewhere in the middle. I think, I I I have, I have the belief that you know Brendan Lemieux probably isn't very well liked around the league for several reasons, you know. And obviously, his teammates aren't going to say anything, you know, of that nature because they gotta they gotta stand up for their guy, you know, they gotta have their guy at all times. But I could see people in that locker room saying, okay, like this guy's kind of kind of a jerk, or this guy isn't deep down this guy isn't a good person you know i could i could totally see that and i could i could buy that totally but um yeah i could get what you're saying with the whole like oh this has been like in the family for a while and all i gotta say is uh i cannot wait until the kings play the flames because i already know matthew's going to just absolutely destroy brendan lemieux and it's going to be much must watch television He's already got to deal with Drew Doughty as it is. Now he's got to take care of Brendan Lemieux too. So yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be something. I well, mean, well, well, real quick, not to cut you off there, Dougie, but like yeah. I was just gonna see like, okay, are any of the are any of his teammates actually gonna step up and like defend him? And the only one that said anything was Jonathan Quick. He was the only one that I that I know of at least that I've checked on that said, that said something. And he basically said that he'd rather have Brendan as a teammate than Brady. So. I mean, I don't know if that's just – obviously, that could just be lip service, obviously. But at the same time, you know, it's not a good look when only one guy is saying something for you. So, maybe Brady Kachuk's on to something. But, yeah. I can't – I can't speak to Jonathan what Jonathan Quick's saying, but, like, that has to be lip service. I would assume so, given that he's the only one that said anything. All right. Well, Peyton, were you getting ready to talk? What were you going to say? I just – Kind of like I was going to kind of answer what uh, he was saying. Like, that you definitely had to been sitting on that. You know, you, you are, I think that there was some talk with like in their families about like, oh, how they hate the Lemuse. Oh, you hate the Kachucks. So, yeah, that, that, that was definitely something he was sitting on and just like just waiting just to snap out and say in front of everybody. But, you know, maybe he might not have wanted to put that like on a public display, but like he's de- he was definitely thinking about that, and now it's out there. So I mean, there's no you can't really hide your feelings now. 
So yeah, that uh, <laughs> it's been set in stone now. I'd say no turning back. <laughs> Those are fighting words. Exactly for sure. What are your thoughts on the situation, Gabe? Oh, I was disgusted when I first saw. I didn't even notice it like during the whole scrum. Then you see his hand in the penalty box. It's like yikes. That was terrible. But uh, the whole thing. Yeah, I definitely agree that that prior animosity could definitely be a factor. If there's definitely history or conversations had in the past. But yeah, can't wait to see what happens when when he comes back or if he even plays again. Yeah, totally agree. And since um, we are talking about Brady Kachuk, who is on the Sens, I, it just made me remember about Matt Murray being put on waivers. What what a wild, what a wild time, man! Like we all know that that contract wasn't a good idea from the get go, but like I didn't think it was going to be this bad. I didn't think there was going to be something like this. Um, you know, part of me hopes that he's able to get out of that contract somehow because, you know, he's going to end up like how Wade Redden was where Wade Redden was just buried in Hartford the entire, for the entirety of like that massive contract he got in New York. And he's just not, his, his career is going to whittle away to nothing, you know? So like, hopefully, hopefully better days are ahead for Matt Murray because I mean, Guys, I don't say this as a joke. Whenever Matt Murray was dialed in in 16 and 17, like he might honestly have been the most confident goalie I've ever seen. Like it was, it was nuts. Like the, the two games that he had to go to Nashville and win watching those games, it was like an out of body experience. Like he was that freaking good. You know, and I know that Jordan Bennington went and did the same thing a little, like a little while later, but the thing with Matt, with Matt was he didn't get rattled. He wasn't like saying like all this stuff in press conferences and things like that. He just stuck to what he did. He stayed on his game. He stayed on his, stayed the course and did his thing, you know? And I really think that Matt Murray can still be a competent NHL goaltender. Um, you know, a lot's going to have to be shown to say that he's a starter, but I think he's a really good backup and maybe somebody that you would want in a tandem as a one, a one B he just, he needs a good goalie coach. You know, he needs a goalie coach that's able to help him and get him, get him back on track. I know that this has been widely talked about throughout just the penguins fandom and through people on Twitter that, there are people that believe that Mike Buckley, the Penguins' former goaltending coach, had Murray's positioning and kinetics so um, messed up and out of whack to the point that it was a, it was greatly affecting the on ice result. You know, and I think that if if Matt and his agent are able to get out of that contract somehow, some way, and make him a free agent where he just goes on unconditional release waivers. I think he could sign with a team that has a stable organization and be able to find his game again, you know, and I hope that that's able to happen. And then hopefully, you know, if all else fails, the Sens are somehow able to facilitate a trade. I'm not really sure how you do that. 
when you're going to have to eat half of that $6.25 million contract. And even then right now at half retained, that still looks like a massive freaking gamble guys. Yeah. I mean, just reading a report from Elliot Freeman that came out like two days ago, he said that there are hard, feel- that there are hard feelings between the Ottawa centers and Matt Murray and Murray feels like he's a scapegoat for the team. I mean, I can kind of understand that obviously, you know, he's, it's, he's probably felt that way for the last two years for a while now, ever since, uh, you know, he started having his struggles in Pittsburgh. But uh, as far as, you know, we're ta- if we're talking potential landing spots for Matt Murray, you know, because obviously he's out there now and um, things will probably change here for him. What are some places that we think he could have a shot of him uh, landing, I guess would be a, a good question to ask. The biggest one that I've seen people talk about is Buffalo simply because Mike Bales is the goaltending coach in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, under the tutelage of Mike Bales, both Flurry and Murray probably had the best two-year runs of their career. And then, you know, they decided to make the switch to Mike Buckley, which I understand Buckley was Murray's guy, but didn't work out. Didn't work out the way that everybody wanted it to, you know. I could see Arizona potentially, but, like, Scott Wedgwood's been playing very well. You know, and if they're if they're able to somehow get out of this contract, like where he can be a free agent, the floor is open for so much more. I I think that's the biggest thing. Like, there are a lot of places he could end up, but he has to be a free agent if it happens. Yes, like New York would be a like the Rangers. I think would be a great fit for him. Mm -hmm. He's a great starter right now. Gorgiev hasn't been a great backup. And you don't really want to call up Keith Kincaid or Tyler Wall. You know, you probably want a guy with at least a little more experience. Yeah. You could fit, but again, you got to be a free agent. How about Minnesota? Okay. I could, I could see. They're elite, but they have some rough goaltending. Mm-hmm. They're a defensive team. So I feel like that'd be a good, you know, you could work him and Talbot out. Yeah. I think that could work too. There's another, I mean, another one here. Um, Tampa. Yeah. You're going to tell Matt Murray isn't an upgrade over Brian Elliott. Right. right. And if God forbid Andre Vasilevsky gets hurt, that's a guy you need. Again, yeah. with this situation, he has to be a free agent in all of those. If he's not a free agent, don't even bother. It's not going to happen. You know, and I was I was even saying Toronto. Um, just because of how well Kyle Dubas knows him. Um, I could see that's right. Yeah. I could see Kyle giving him a two-way where he can go down and work with the Marley staff and get himself right. And when the time comes, if Morazic's still injured or if Morazic's not in the picture, he just go back up Jack Campbell, you know? And I'd be remiss if I didn't say the Penguins got to find a way to upgrade on Casey DeSmith. Um, But I'm not saying right now, I'm not going to say that, oh, Matt Murray's the answer because we all know that there's a – small yet vocal minority in the city of Pittsburgh that basically, I don't want to put it this way, but it's basically true that essentially wants Matt Murray dead. So I don't know how well that would go. I don't know. You know, maybe things were different because Jim's gone because Jim Rutherford's gone, you know? And I, I honestly, like if you brought it, if they were able to bring him in and working with Andy Kyoto, I really think he could get back to form or somewhat back to form. 
I mean, you guys, you guys know I've talked about this, Peyton and Scotty. I've talked about this with both of you guys at length, but I mean, I would love to see it, you know. Um, another team, St. Louis needs a backup, don't they? Because their backup still, I think there's backup still Billy Huso. Uh, I don't know because they had they had some they had some guy in there last week. I for, it, I don't think it was Huso. I forget. I don't remember. I don't remember. Columbus, Columbus, Columbus they had work. a new guy. Yeah, Columbus could work too because of um, Corpusalo being so so rough around the edges over as of late. They have some kid in there named Joel Hoffer right now. St. Louis does. He's only 21. He played last week, I think, against uh, against some terrible team. I forget which one. They blew him out. But he had a good game. It's interesting. It's very interesting. So, so basically, if him and his agent can get this contract worked out, he's got work. Yeah, like that's a lot of work. A lot of work. That's the whole job thing. Opening. You know, you have to wonder if in the summer the Sens won't just buy him out. Definitely a possibility now. Yeah, I don't know the contract structure. I don't know if his contract's more backloaded than it is front-loaded, but, you know, I could see them buying him out because this – they'd only be buying out one year if they buy him out in the summer, right? I think so. Hey, I don't know offhand. And even if they're just buying out two years, I think they could still make it work. But, um, you know – it would be nice to see him get somewhere where he can get better and get himself back to normal because we all, I think we all know that he's more capable than what he's shown and what, and what he's been given over the past year or so, Um, you know, and I will die on this hill of, if you gave if you put the Penguins current defense right now in front of Matt Murray, Matt Murray would be perfectly fine. It's just Jim Rutherford failed Matt Murray during the last year or so of his tenure in Pittsburgh by, you know, anchoring him with people like Jack Johnson, Justin Schultz, Eric Branson. I could, I mean, I could do an entire list. You guys know I could write an entire book on everything that's happened with that team since the uh, back-to-back cup runs. So, but anyways, is there anything else that you guys want to touch on or add? All good over here. All right. Well, Gabe, thank you for coming on. Greatly appreciate it. Um, Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. And you have anything going on, like anything notable? You want a rumor? If you want to drop a bomb, (laughs) drop a bomb. Minnesota is a team to keep an eye on for releasing an alternate next year. Just things Um, I've been hearing. Are they going to have, is it going to be the subway alternates again? No idea. <laughs> Haven't heard any details. I've just heard Minnesota is an almost definite for next season. That's that's interesting because I could see them, you know, not to get on another like five to ten minute conversation, but I could definitely see them going back to red for a third jersey. Yes. Yes. You know? Um or I'd be perfectly fine with them using the North Stars colorway. I think that that was oh, one yeah. of underrated um reverse retros that, that was made. So all right, guys. Well, thanks again, Gabe. 
Um, as always, guys, this has been another episode of Four Checking TV. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Four Checking TV. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube and look for us wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you, guys, and good night.